start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Welcome to episode 64. Oh, yes, 64 is the episode that we're on right now. And today we're going to do something that I considered special. I was recently in contact with Marianne from TopSafetySpeakers.com. And she was gracious enough to provide us with one of her top speakers. And today I have the opportunity to interview Sylvia. She's an international activational speaker on health and wellness. So she's going to discuss how her career started and how she tied it all back into safety. So I hope you enjoy the interview here today on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. So I appreciate you you, uh, um, coming on for me to do this torture to you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I love this. This is not torture at all. Good. Thank you. No, I appreciate you coming on. I had had a discussion with Marianne on having some of her, you know, have some of the speakers come on. And she highly recommended you. She said you're one of Canada's favorites. So I was like, well, let's make it. Let's make it a North America favorite, not just a Canada favorite. Well, that is such a beautiful thing. Thank you, Jay. I am um, honored, to say the very least. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to Marianne for saying such a kind thing because, honestly, if I could do this every day of my life, this kind of thing, it's a bit of a crusade trying to help people find, find some way to create better health and well-being for themselves. It is it is absolutely a crusade and it's a passion for sure. So every opportunity is a fantastic opportunity for me. Well, the interesting part about it is that as I did research on you before we do the interview, because of course that's what I get to do around here. I was looking (laughs) and you started in rehab services and then moved your way through 
So how did this come about, if you don't mind me asking? So how did you go from rehab? Well, let's start off with how did you get involved with rehab? And then we'll go from there. Yeah, so really great questions. Um, I was always interested in the medical field, but could not bring myself to give a needle. So I knew nursing was not going to be for me. And I wanted to be a speech therapist. And someone said to me, so the program was just not coming to Manitoba. And I was unwilling to relocate at the time. My father was really, really ill. I had been helping my mother care for him. He'd had many strokes. He was very debilitated by his uh, medical conditions. And I was unwilling to leave her uh, to go away to university. So um, I, I had been told that the program would come to Manitoba. It didn't. Um, I started my university education just taking sort of general sciences and uh, courses that I knew would get me into anything in the medical profession. And someone said, why don't you be an occupational therapist? And I said, well, what do they do? Well, they work in hospitals and, you know, they help people get better. And I said, so do they give needles? No. Nope. <laughs> uh, they don't do stitches or anything like that? No. Nope. I said, okay. So I applied literally with that much information. Um, fell in love with the whole, the whole, um, it's a partnership kind of relationship. Uh, it's a holistic approach to healthcare and well-being. It's non-prescriptive. So you work as a team with not only other professionals, but most importantly with the patient. So um, finished up my the degree I was working on. Then I got into occupational therapy, did that degree. Knew I was in the right place. And then within probably a dozen years of uh, working with sick people in acute care hospitals, I began working in rehabilitation, uh, returning injured workers to work. And then accidentally, some would say, I say by calling, got asked to do a presentation when someone was sick. And the feedback from the audience was really excellent. And I was on fire and just wanted to do more and more. And then got my first opportunity um, to volunteer for a presentation for Manitoba Hydro, which is one of the biggest employers in Manitoba. And then from there, by word of mouth, I just went throughout the organization presenting at their safety comp or their safety days on stress and realized I had hit something that was universal, um, life-altering, meaningful, valuable, and I just felt like I had become what I was always meant to become, which is somebody who promotes and preaches prevention. Not, I don't want to see people when they're sick. I want to see people before they get sick. So let me ask that question there. How does that transition work for me for you then when you're going, okay, I'm helping people in rehab day in, day out doing occupational therapy. And then yeah. you get bit by the speaking bug. And apparently it's a really good one for you because the way that it works is if there's so many people that are interested in you doing this and all of a sudden you say, yeah. this is what I want to do and swap. How do you have that internal conversation first? Because that, of course, let's just be realistic. You're going from a career path of doing this where you're doing occupational therapy with people to potential work in regards to going out into the speaking world. How does that transition occur? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think part of, so simultaneously um, with, the, with the speaking career sort of taking off, I also switched my roles 
somewhat uh, at the clinic where I was working from doing treatment and rehabilitation to working with people who had mental health conditions and who were off work because of that to teaching them skills to prevent their diagnostic conditions or their label from ever becoming a, um, um, a disability. So I got them back to work or I worked with them to get them back to work, but then I, I was, my whole focus was on prevention. How do we make sure this never happens again? Because your condition of depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder isn't going to go away. So I began teaching them these prevention skills and that sort of fit so beautifully with what I was trying to accomplish in my public speaking career, which was teaching people preventative tools to maintain health and well-being. And it was such a beautiful fit in safety because at the time, you know, this is going back to like 2002, 2003 probably, I spoke for 10 years running at the same safety conference in Manitoba, which is the largest safety conference in Manitoba. It was in Winnipeg. It is in Winnipeg every year. And I started um, introducing the idea of stress and stress and safety being significantly correlated and began teaching stress management strategies with a presentation that I call Stressed to Kill and began doing that at the safety conference here. And that was different from the sort of more physically oriented safety stuff that was being done. And at the time, the safety councils across the country were just starting to say, hmm, you know, what about stress? But nobody was really pushing it at these safety events. And so um, we did that in Manitoba. And the fellow who was the head of the safety council here really started promoting that at the national level. And so that's how, that's kind of how I married the, the treatment and the prevention piece, if I've answered your question correctly. Oh, absolutely. But that's the interesting part because you're saying 2002, you're having these conversations about stress. And let's be, let's kind of, let's take a look at it. A lot of these people, a lot of people are not having the conversation about this until years later. So you're really ahead of the curve at the time. And so you're having these conversations in front of these large audiences. And what is the feedback that you're getting? Um, There were so many people who lined up after that first, and it it was done as a breakout session. So it wasn't a keynote. It wasn't until a few years later that I closed the conference with that keynote by accident. And I can tell you a funny story. It's not a funny story, actually. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting story about how that happened. But people lined up afterwards to start talking to me and asking me questions about, you know, how do I deal with work stress? And then, so over a few years of doing this, I started to realize that I really needed to focus on the workplace, on workplace culture, because work in Canada, I'm sure it's no different in the U.S., when you look at the statistics, work and finances are tied for first place as the number one stressors that Canadians report. I'm sure, you know, our brothers across the way are no different, uh, brothers and sisters across the way. Work and finances are the biggest stressors that we deal with. And if we spend, this is a Canadian statistic, 
74% of our waking hours in activities related to work, and it is our most um, significant stressor. You can imagine the impact that has on health and on safety. And so I developed another presentation called Respectfully Up Yours. And you have to say it with a bit of a snarl. <laughs> because it's a really tongue-in-cheek kind of... Um, it's a it's a real poke at respectful workplace policies, which are, and I say this respectfully, a bit of a joke because uh, we have not at all affected the number of stress leaves that are happening in Canada. Um, they're exponentially rising. We're now well over fifty billion dollars a year in the costs, and so we know that we're you know respectful workplace policies and looking at psychological harassment in the workplace is having zero effect because we're telling people what they are not allowed to do anymore so they're doing something sneakier instead of yelling at people and calling them names people are not being invited to the paint night that is the team building activity this month oh i forgot i'm so sorry i thought you were on the email chain and then prove that you know, people are going underground with this behavior. So Canadians, and I'm sure it's no different where you are, we are becoming more and more stressed. And it's the workplace where we see the greatest impact of that, but also where we can have huge impact in changing it. Because we spend eight, 10 hours, 12 hours a day at work. Employers need to realize the impact of this on their bottom line, on the quality of life for their workers, on the cost of stress leave, absenteeism, presenteeism. Let's put some effort into creating happier, healthier workplaces so that we can help people live well until they die instead of succumb to some stress-related illness that, you know, unfortunately doesn't actually kill us, just robs us of our health for the last 20 years of our life. So how is this conversation carried out with most organizations, especially if the upper management or C-suite people do not realize that they have this problem? How would you recommend, I guess, a worker bringing this up in regards of, hey, this is an issue that we have going on. Is this a HR-related issue or do you feel that they need to go to their upper management and have this conversation? Well, I think often these things start with a um, HR or safety uh, a lot of times these issues come to me directly because one branch of my business is working in, uh, in production, manufacturing, healthcare, even office uh, buildings, working with injured or symptomatic workers. And so often they will come to me not with a physical symptom, but with more of an emotional or psychological um, mental health kind of issue. And so I am often the person who goes to, to management and the union so critical to link arms with the union. They are your biggest allies when you are trying to, can be your biggest allies when you are trying to um, help look after the culture and the people in a workplace. So often that information will come straight to me. An employee is really struggling with bullying in the workplace or they're struggling with uh, a mental health condition um, and they're having outbursts at work and they're concerned about keeping their job. So then I can, with them or and or with their approval, go and talk to management or and or the union and or HR. 
Um, but often I encourage them to bring these issues forward. But I can tell you, and this is no surprise to you, Jay, uh, a lot of times these issues don't get resolved very quickly. Or, or, or probably you can even say probably very gracefully either. Now, let me ask just a, let, let me just ask the question there. Now, Sylvia, do they reach out to you directly before they are, quote unquote, one of your clients? Or do they reach out once they are one of your clients? It depends, Jay. Sometimes people will come to me uh, at a conference. And so my job at that point would be, obviously, I can't go to their employer. Um, It is to equip them with the skills to deal with the situation. So I may say to them, you know, so when that, when that, bully manager comes and says this to you let's problem solve together and I don't charge for this because I'm about relationships I'm not yes I need to pay my bills but one of the things I offer every company I work with and every single conference presentation I do I leave my email contact information and I let people know forever as long as you need help you can always email me call me communicate with me and I will help. I will answer your email. I will direct you. I will get on a phone call with you if that's what you need. No charge. It's about relationships. It's about doing the right thing. So people will come and they'll have these questions and I might have a phone conversation with them um, to help them understand why they're being picked on, what behaviors they might need to change, what kind of conversation they might be able to have, who they should talk to, what the next steps are, and it might start with, have you documented any of this? Have you had a conversation with the person who is the bully? Or, you know, I try to walk them through a little bit of a problem-solving technique. And then um, if their employer is open and interested, I am always available to consult with an employer. Sometimes those people become clients. And how does that conversation normally start? So you say you can call that they can call you at any point and you have an email that you grant to them. Because keep in mind, too, that I've had other people and I'm not saying this occurs with you where they'll say, "Okay, here's my email and here is my my phone number. But there's a virtual assistant that it goes through and it's not direct access. Now, there's been a couple of people that I call that will go directly to them. And I've been totally shocked that it occurs that way. So when they call you, is it a virtual assistant or do they get directly access to you? It's me. Okay. And then Yeah, it's it's always me. The only virtual assistant I have is I and and it's um it's it's fairly um low key. I have somebody that helps with my LinkedIn and Twitter posting and does my invoicing. That's it. <laughs> well I was about Otherwise, to tell I was I was about to tell you, you're very active on Twitter, but now we know, now we know the secret. (laughs) Well, I can tell you that I feed um, my assistants a lot of that stuff and just like I will often send it and say, find great hashtags for this. Um, So Instagram, Facebook, a lot of LinkedIn is me directly, but a lot of it is is my assistant as well. And then I have a, a couple of rehab staff that work for me in manufacturing and production. So they'll do, we do industrial ergonomics, we do job demands analysis, we do that kind of stuff. So they, they work with me. Um, but yeah, if somebody needs me, they get me. I just absolutely, um, 
and I don't judge anyone for doing it differently. It's a matter of time management and maybe um, some healthy boundaries. But I really believe that if somebody's reaching out to me, they want me and they need me now. They don't need me in a week. Um, it takes a lot of courage to reach out and ask for help. And it is far easier to put your head in the sand. Absolutely. That takes zero courage, right? So if people are going to be vulnerable vulnerable enough to reach out to a stranger for help, then I am darn well going to show up for that. So when you have the conversations with them initially that you were referencing a few moments ago, and you tell them, have they put it on paper, that there might be some behaviors that they're doing that could be potentially the cause how do they normally react to this whole thing because keep in mind that if they're asking you for help they're already kind of in a sensitive area and they're looking for guidance and when you have this discussion of well this potentially might not be working because of x factor that you are encouraging how does that go you know what, Jay? I've not had anyone um, ever be offended by that. Um, and I think it's for two reasons. I think, number one, I think it, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that, and I'm not, this is not a me tooting my own horn in any way, but you'd be far hard-pressed to find someone that thinks that I'm a phony. And some of that is because I... Uh, very intentionally before I do a presentation create my own um, energetic output so that whether it's by you know I used to have a radio show um, whether I'm on the radio whether I'm on a phone call or whether I'm in person that I I am not full of BS Um, so I think that's that's a really important thing is that people know that when I say I care and I'm concerned that I'm not this is not smoke. This is this is the truth. So I think they know that I'm coming from a place of concern and care, and they can trust that. And number two, it's the way in which the message is delivered, and that's always the case in any communication. When you speak to people with um, kindness and respect and care, they hear things very differently than when you speak with anger or irritation or impatience. I'm very, very careful about the words that I use, and I often will ask more questions than make statements. So I'll say, you know, you know, do how do you react when he says things like that to you at work? And then people will respond, and I'll say, have you ever heard of the phrase "what you permit, you promote"? Is it possible that he thinks it's okay to say those things? because you say nothing. Is that possible? And then people don't hear that. I haven't had people hear that as me poking a finger of blame at them, but rather opening their awareness to something that they may not have thought of. And we'll be back right after this here on Safety FM. Hi, everybody. Todd Conklin. I know lots of you get your information while you drive down the road or sit on planes or sit in meetings and look interested. And now you should know that three of my books are available for your listening pleasure on Audible. With the help of Jay Allen and Safety FM, we've produced three of the books, Workplace Fatalities, The Five Principles of Human Performance, and my very first book, Simple Revolutionary Acts, and they're available now where you get audiobooks. 
We can all run into issues. Some issues we will discuss with friends and maybe family, but some items are so personal that we don't want to discuss with anyone and we just want to handle them ourselves. What issues am I talking about? I am talking about issues with credit. Imagine being able to work on your credit report from the comfort of your own home. No weird salesperson telling you to dispute everything. Just straightforward, no nonsense on what to do step-by-step to work on your credit report. This is not just a credit education service, but it's also a community of other like-minded individuals having the same struggles. For more information, go to issueswithcredit.com. The Issues with Credit community will be with you every step of the way. Issueswithcredit.com, a 13th hour solution venture. And welcome back to Safety FM. Here's more with Sylvia. Well, and that's interesting because essentially you're using the whole psychology side of it and it makes sense on what you're doing. Also going back on what you were referencing, I think it's interesting on how you're saying that how you make the output and how you make the environment. Because I'll tell you, I've had the privilege of actually interacting with national level speakers and it's like there's a character and then there's the person. And I think that sometimes you get the character and not the person. And I think that that when you run into those scenarios where, okay, I'm going to contact you because I need help. You might not get the person that was on the stage. You might get the person that the real person is and goes kind of, uh, well, that's my character. That's not me. And I'm not dogging people that do that. Please understand that. But there's, there's some, I guess, character building (laughs) to some extent in regards with some of the people that do this. And then there's some people that are genuinely involved all across the board. And you come across that way for sure. And then you also made something else that it, that you referenced that I'm already going crazy in my head. You said you had a radio show, but we can get to that in a moment. I did. <laughs> <laughs> but w- when you were doing the radio, were you doing the radio along the lines of what did the, the show consist of? So it was called Happy Hour with Sylvia. And it was all about... So, so my basic perspective on life my crusade is about this one simple concept we are exceptional at creating disease and illness we've proven that in north america we are number one in the in the world for heart disease obesity childhood obesity diabetes like blah 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 we are exceptional at creating disease and my basic belief and and crusade is that if we can do that we can do the other we can create health. If we can create disease, we can absolutely create health. So the show, um, Happy Hour with Sylvia, was all about influencing, creating, um, enhancing mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, cognitive well-being. And so I had interviews, um, I had authors on, I had ordinary, what I called ordinary, extraordinary people, ordinary people doing extraordinary things, Um, people who had taken a common, horrible experience and turned it into something amazing, but not the people who climbed Mount Everest, you know, backwards, (laughs) naked, on their hands by moonlight, not those kind of people, ordinary people, you know, somebody who took her husband's, um, recipes and notes on, um, you know, preparing marsh, um, 
ducks and geese and like he was a real um, conservation activist for the marshlands and wetlands in Canada and he taught he did mentored hunts and taught young kids how to hunt and how to clean ducks and how to prepare and all this kind of stuff she took his life's work and created this beautiful cookbook and then sold it uh with 100% of the proceeds going to Ducks Unlimited to further conserve wetlands. That's how they dealt with their grief, her and her two children. What a magnificent and beautiful way to honor someone and to keep yourself from from becoming just um, engulfed by the vortex of grief. So those are the people I had on my show. And what ultimately led me to stopping the show, Jay, was... Um, pure selfishness on my part I didn't have an audience to look at to feel the energy of to look in someone's eyes and and see them become emotional because of the story I shared or to hear them laugh at a joke because I really try to be I actually don't really try to be funny it just kind of happens and I love playing with people in the audience and wandering through the group while I'm talking and see people feel something that they haven't felt before, maybe haven't felt in a long time. That was really hard um, for me to just not have that feedback and that energy. Yes, I had people on the phone and calling in, and but it wasn't the same. And my producer was lovely. He would always make eye contact and give me thumbs up and all of that, but it wasn't quite enough. Well, that's the that's the interesting part there because it is much different, besides, you know, standing in front of an audience or sitting behind a microphone because you don't know how the people are interacting on the other side. And I I won't say that I struggle with it because I I like being behind the microphone. <laughs> um, I don't mind yeah. speaking in front of people, but it's definitely definitely something different when you're standing in front of someone and you can see the initial shock reaction how they're doing it, and if that's what you're accustomed to getting behind the microphone and not having like a chat room available or where there's instant feedback, it becomes a little difficult. I entirely understand where you're coming from. So how long, how long did you do the radio show for before you decided to, to move on? I did it for a year. And at the same time, of course, I was traveling at that time. I wasn't traveling internationally to speak, but I was traveling across Canada and I also was working half time in a clinic so it was a lot to juggle and uh, as you as you know preparing for a radio show you might have a one so my show was an hour um, with travel time and prep time because I lived out of the city at the time with all of that it was a good eight hour a week investment and it was a big investment and I put my heart and soul into it and I did it for a year and then I just decided I couldn't I couldn't juggle everything. Something had to give. And so what I did was I stayed on as a consultant, as a health and wellness consultant, and I've been that for CJOB, which is now owned by um, Global. They were Chorus Entertainment. I think they're now owned by Global TV. So I still am on with... Um, those folks quite regularly as a health and wellness consultant something will happen in the news and I'll, I'll get on the morning news program and you know give another perspective on it or I'll go on the afternoon show um, 
what was really fun was uh, the previous afternoon show host would never tell me what we were going to talk about. I would arrive in the studio and I would have emailed her. Uh, and you probably noticed I didn't ask you what we were going to talk about either. One of the very few I've people. Learned <laughs> <laughs> I've learned to trust that whatever needs to be spoken will come out of my mouth. Not that I'm always right. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I'm not full of myself that way, but uh, I've learned to kind of um, surrender to uh, what needs to happen will happen. And, and I would come in, arrive in the studio and I'd say to her, what are we talking about today? And she'd say, we'll see. <laughs> it was always pretty amazing. Well, that's the best way to do it because I think an organic conversation comes across better on the air than what it does if you have something that's pre-planned. And I will tell you, I have yeah. people that will come on and they'll be national level speakers and they won't ask me what we're going to talk about. And I'll have yeah. people that are kind of coming up the ranks and if they have a PR firm that's involved in it, <laughs> well, here we go because all of a sudden I get oh, a, yeah. a list of what are the questions, what are the orders they're going to be in, and how much time do they have to answer between? And I'm just like, hold on, no, 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 that's not how I do it. Well, we oh. don't, we don't know if we can proceed forward with the interview if we don't have a list of questions. And I'm just like, then I'm probably not going to be the guy for you because that's not what I do. Right. And it's it's yeah. all it's always interesting. I, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, Jay. I, I think you actually use the organic word somewhere in one of our email communications and I was like yes she gets me well I, to me <laughs> I it just it. it just makes sense because imagine if I had you come on and I was like I want you to tell me solely about your career between this year 2001 and 2002 and that's it and that's going to be the the whole conversation well we would have probably already dropped off but if I look at oh, it, yeah. if I look at it and go, let's see where the conversation goes, because there's highlight pieces there that you mentioned that on the research that I had done, I didn't even have that information. So there's more info there. And I just don't want to focus on. I just only want to focus on this one thing, this one aspect of you. And I really just want to move around and see what's going on. And I'll tell you, as I look into your background or was looking into your background prior to the interview, I was amazed with some of the thing on the way that you title some of the things that you do. Like the one that <laughs> the, the one that stuck out really interestingly to me was fun, a three letter F word, and I was like, hold on, because I had seen the last part first, and I was like, okay, hold on, that's going to be a, definitely an attention getter, especially if you keep the the fun word out at the very beginning. I was just like, okay, so how do you come up with these titles, and are they attention grabbers on purpose on how you develop these? Oh, they most certainly are. Um, I. I like to be edgy, um, and so, many of my uh, fellow speakers will say, I don't know how you get away with that, um, but I guess what I hope is that people will remember, because not necessarily just because the content is a little bit different because let's be honest the topics we talk about people can go research people can go research stress management they can go research you know respectful workplace policy they can go research all this stuff and learn it themselves in the comfort of their own homes so there's two things that I want to create for my audiences that I'll, I'll tell you about the framework in a moment but there's two things I want to create I want to create something that is, you know, very memorable. So I want it to be edgy. I want it to be fun and different. 
And I want them to walk out feeling like it's po- anything is possible now. I want them to walk out feeling hopeful. And so if I'm a little edgy and a little sassy and a little out there, they're more inclined to stay with me. Um, and then, and then they, they stay with me long enough to get the hope piece. Because if you walk out with hope, you, you can't buy that. There's, there's no way you can buy that. So I learned that when I worked on palliative care. I worked on palliative care for six and a half years. It was the happiest place I ever worked, Jay. Everyone was dying. And, and it was the happiest place I ever worked because as staff, we confronted our mortality every day. And we had the opportunity to see people at their least defensive. They were naked emotionally, physically, spiritually, like in every way, there were no defenses left. And you could just see the beauty of the human being. And it was just such a privilege to be with people at that time in their life. And I realized very quickly that there was no rehabilitation possible for most of these people. And so I had to really figure out what my role was there. And it very quickly became apparent to me that my, that the role that I wanted to create for occupational therapy was to be a hope broker. So you've got a bedridden individual with spinal tumors and I would go into his room and say, tell me something that you want to do more than anything today and let's do it. What do you want to do? I want to go and sit in the solarium and I want to watch the sunset tonight. Okay, we got to find a way to get you up. Now, some of these things were colossal endeavors. I actually had to have a cast clinic come in and make a full body cast to protect a patient's um, bones because they would crush when you tried to lift the patient or tried to put him in a sling. So we had to create a full body cast and then put him into a sling and then get him into um, a reclining chair. It was just very complicated, but we did it. And so hope became the currency. And that's, that's what I try to create for my audiences. And I do that by being memorable and different and sassy and edgy and funny and hopefully genuine so that it's a different experience for them. When they, when they leave there, it's not just another presentation that we have to sit through. So do you feel to some extent that you're a hope ambassador? Is that the way that it would come across? Yeah, that's a beautiful wording. Actually, I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now, yeah. as I play through your website, I, I have a couple questions here. You have something that you, a program that you reference, it's called SHOP. Could you explain, right. could you explain that to the audience on what that consists of? Sure. So the SHOP program stands for Safety and Health for Organizations and People. And it involves um, numerous services that can either be packaged together or they can be standalone services. And the tagline here is symptoms before syndrome. I want to see people where they're getting hurt, whether it's a physical or an emotional or a psychological injury or stress injury. I want to see them where they're getting hurt. And then I want to do two things. I want to help them find a treatment for that symptom before it becomes a syndrome. I don't want people 
to wait to get help until it's now a diagnosable condition that requires medicine. I am all about prevention. So let's get the elbow when it's sore, not when it's diagnosed as tennis elbow and now you're off work. So that's the first thing is I want to, I want to get people, um, so my goal of the shop program is to uh, identify what kind of treatment might be needed for this symptom, regardless of the, the etiology of the symptom. And then the second thing is how do we stop triggering the pain or the symptom? So that you can actually heal and get better while you continue to work. If these people are seen in a clinic, and I'm not in any way criticizing physio clinics or work hardening clinics, um, they exist for a reason and they provide a valuable service. But if I can see you at work, I know exactly why your left elbow is sore because I'm watching you. And I can see that every time you lift this object, you do it with your palm down and your elbow out. And I know because I understand anatomy that that is going to yank on the tendons in your elbow. So if I teach you to angle your body 45 degrees to that object and to lift it with your bicep instead of your shoulder, now number one, I've prevented a new trigger or, or an additional trigger that's going to happen 15 times tomorrow. And number two, I'm going to give you stretches and exercises or get you in to see my physio who comes on site with me. And she'll give you stretches and exercises to heal that. And then you can keep working without injuring yourself. Well, Sylvia, if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find out some more information? They can find me at mindbodyworks.ca. That's the website. And they can reach out to me at Sylvia, S-Y-L-V-I-A, at mindbodyworks.ca. Well, Sylvia, I appreciate you coming on Safety FM. Oh, it was such a joy and pleasure, Jay. Thank you so much for having me. And also for doing the good work that you're doing. Just, you know, giving people access to this information that could be life-changing is huge. You know, we're in the same... We're in the same field. We're in healthcare, taking care of people. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Jay. Stay amazing. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com. Are you tired of not being able to reach the people inside of your organization? What if there's a better approach? What if you could contact them in a click of a button? Here at Safety FM, we can assist you reach your team via podcast. How about setting up a private podcast for just you and your team members? We will cover topics that are important to you and your company. Visit safetyfm.com. That's safetyfm.com and click on services for more information about your own private podcast. Safety FM, a safety focused moment venture.
So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.